It's good to see you guys tonight. I appreciate you coming out in the heat. I know it's warm out there. So uh, this is my little fan because I can't stand here and fan myself. It's just blowing hot air on me, just in case you're wondering. It's not like it's blowing air-conditioned air, in case you thought, you know, I wasn't going to suffer with you or something like that. You know, I want to start off this evening by sharing with you a spiritual secret. One of the most profound spiritual secrets in my life personally, it helped me immensely over the years as a Christian. Most of you are here this evening, not because we have a beautiful auditorium or it's a cool place for you to be. I mean cool as in air conditioned. I believe most of you are here, if not all of you, because you're spiritually hungry. Because you're looking for something more in your life, something deeper in your life, and Christ has that to offer to each of our lives. But I want to share with you tonight my spiritual secret and how you can get the most possible benefit out of every rock service that you come come to. You may have thought of this as a church, and I guess you could call it a church. It's a church meeting, but it's far more than that. My goal and my desire when you come to this meeting is to personally disciple you and train you in your Christian experience. But that only works one way. Thus, I'm going to share my spiritual secret. When I was a young Christian, I moved to Ames, Iowa in about 1977. And I moved there from a town 40 miles north. There was a reason I moved there. I moved there because I knew that in order for me to grow as a Christian, that I needed to get myself into a position where there were godly men whose lives were qualified biblically to train me. And I only know of two passages in the Bible that describe those qualifications. It's in the book of Timothy and the book of Titus. Secondly, I knew that I needed not only to find those men, but to place myself under those men's leadership, to defer to them, to rank myself below them and listen to what they had to say to me. I didn't go look for really neat Bible teachers. I mean, you can turn on the radio knob and find really neat Bible teachers. I went to find a place where there were men who were living godly lives who I could submit my life to and be trained just like a karate student who enrolls in a dojo and has a master and submits to that training. That is what church was meant to be. That is not what church in America is. Now, let me explain my attitude. When I walk through the door of an auditorium very much like this, I sit down in my seat and I pretended that that pastor on that stage was sitting alone with me in a room sharing with me exactly what he was going to say that night. And I was asking myself, what does he have to say to me and what am I going to do about it? That's where I am where I am today. That is why I I am where I am today in my Christian life. I went home. I took it very personal. I took every message personal. You see, there's a lot of people that say, I need someone to one-on-one disciple me. I'm one-on-one discipling you every week. Did you know that? You just haven't been taking it that way. This opportunity, there may be hundreds of people in this room, or faith walkers, there may be thousands in the room, but it's really just you and I. 
You and I and God. And what will you do with what you have been taught? What will you do with what you heard? I'm going to go off on this someday in the future, give you a whole message on this because it could really transform your life. But it's a family. My, my kids spent eight years in karate. Karate is very different than another sport. A lot of sports you do for fun. Not all sports, but karate. You go to the class. We went four times a week. We drove 10 miles one way, 10 miles back. And then every week we went home and dad went in the living room and I held the pads for what the kids learned in that class. And they practiced and they practiced and they practiced and they practiced until they all became second degree black belts. Now spiritually speaking, I'm about an eighth degree black belt. Most of you here are what we would call white belts. Some of you might be a green belt. You've got a lot of belts to go before you're going to even be a black belt. The question is, do you really consider yourself a learner? Because that's what the word disciple means, a learner. And will you place yourself under those who can teach you, and will you take what you hear and go do something with it? I'm going to share with you tonight the only, oh, you're going to like this because it's going to make the hairs on your neck stand up when I say this. I'm going to share with you the only right way to live. There is only one right way to live. Now I want to ask you this question. And I want you to think about it this evening. If I were to ask you what is the single greatest ambition of your life, what is the single most important goal of your life, don't answer it, but I want you to get in your mind, what would you say? Someone would ask you, Maybe you're sitting with a friend at work and they ask you, let me ask you, Mark, do you have any goals? Do you have any aspirations? Are you ambitious? Well, you might have some goals. You know, maybe you want to get in shape. Maybe you want to read a little more. Maybe you want to learn a foreign language. But if someone were to ask you, what is the single most important goal in your life? What is the most important ambition? What would you say? I want to talk with you about that this evening. You know, we're living in kind of an interesting time. At least, uh, you know, there, there's always new things, and, but sometimes the new is the old. It's just redone. But all of a sudden on TV, if you notice, everybody wants to be a star. You've got American Idol, the greatest talent in the world. You've got rock star. I kind of like, if I have to pick between rock star and American Idol, I'll take rock star. It's just my preference. You maybe not have seen either one. That's okay. You've got so you can think you can dance. And if you notice something about every one of those shows, <clears throat> there are, well, there is really one driving desire that every person has. You know what that is? To please the audience and please the judges. It's all they care about. Please the audience, please the judges. I want to please them. I want to please them. I want them to like me. I want them to like me. If you watch Rockstar, it's a little more pointed than American Idol. On American Idol, Simon, Randy, and Paula, they can give you their advice, but they have no votes. <clears throat> on Rockstar, you get votes, but the bottom three, it's the guys on stage, the rock band you're trying out for. They vote out the person. And every week, they have a little advice to give to the singer. A lot of times, singers don't like it. Sometimes they cry. <clears throat> but inevitably... Their desire is to please. They want to please. And the world's a terrible taskmaster, you know. For a while, the world likes you, then nobody hears about you anymore. Remember Diana Troublehorn? 
her big movie was Waterworld. It was huge. I also think she was in The Firm with Tom Cruise. Nobody here is a Diana Treblehorn anymore. The world, they'll use you up, spit you out. Just a few nights ago down in Nashville, Tennessee, there was 140,000 fans in the street because the country artists wanted to please their fans. They wanted to do something special for the fans. They're always eager to please the fans. A few weeks ago, Bart sang a song, you got to serve somebody. You know what it really comes down to? It really comes down to you got to please somebody. And the question is, what audience are you living for? And whose attention are you trying to get? I want to talk with you about that this evening. I want to read you what the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll now discuss the only right way to live. Paul writes this, and he says this about Christ. In First, he starts in uh, verse 9. So our ambition, our goal in life is to please Christ always, whether we are here in the body or away from the body, for we must all stand before Christ someday and be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the bad we've done in our bodies. Christ died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live to please themselves, but instead they will live to please Christ who died and was raised for them. So when I ask you the question, what is the greatest ambition in your life? Don't say it out loud, but did you get the answer right? Do you really understand? Do you really grasp that the only goal in life is to live your life to please God, to bring God delight, to gratify God's desires, to please your heavenly Father, to do that which God considers right whether or not you feel like it or not. It's really interesting. Again, I don't know if you've ever had a talent. You have some kind of talent, but I don't know if your talent is a stage kind of talent, dance or art or singing, or music, or an instrument. But have you noticed, these people, they want to please so bad. They may love their style. I was watching the other night. I'm not usually into dance. But my daughter, she's been watching it out in Arizona, so I thought I would try to keep up, and we're two hours ahead, so I find out who wins, and then I call her and tell her. <laughs> so, I was watching these people dance, and I'm telling you, the judges, I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to ask yourself, are you really ready to have yourself judged in front of, um, I don't know, 15 million people? Would you really like your performance graded in front of 15 million people? And there's this kid, and he started out the competition, never had, never had dance training at all. He's just got a talent for street dancing. And so every week he's getting critiqued. Every week he's getting critiqued. But you know what? He had a passion passion for dance and a passion to please. And week after week after week, he wanted to grow, and he did what he was told. He tried to do what was asked of him to do because he wanted to please. Now, there are really two people he was trying to please. He's trying to please himself because he wants to advance in the competition. He wants to make his dream come true, and he's trying to please the judges and the audience and get them to vote for him. 
How eager are you to please God? How eager are you to please God? In Galatians, uh, excuse me, in Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul again is writing and he says this, For we are not our own masters when we live or when we die. While we live, we live to please God. And when we die, we go to be with the Lord. So in life and in death, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose so that He might be Lord and Master of those who are alive and those who have died. You know, this is such a different rendering, isn't it, of what we think today when we think, you know, Jesus just Jesus came to give me life. He wants me to live. He wants me to be happy. He wants me to have a good life. You know, Paul says twice, Paul's message was, Christ died for you so that you quit being a selfish pig and you live to please God. Christ died for you so that you would give up your dreams and ambitions and you would live to please God. You are now owned by a master. Has that ever dawned on you? Do you even understand that? We don't, we don't like to talk about that today, man, because there is no such thing as slavery. Oh, yes, there is. You are either a slave to sin and your passions and desires, even though you may have sanitized them and they look nice and they look pretty. I know people right now who are slaves, the Christians, they're slaves to their dreams, their desires, and they are shooting their own leg off because they refuse to live to please God. Now, we understand as a Christian that I've been made new, and when I live to please God, there is a satisfaction that comes back to me from living to please God. There is a joy that comes back to me, but it is not my agenda It's God's agenda for my life. And I want to ask you tonight, have you ever made the decision in your life, the commitment in your life to live every day to please God? It's really not WWJD. It's WPG. What pleases God? What pleases God? Are you living a life right now that your conscience tells you and you know for a fact pleases God? Do you even know what pleases God? Have you even bothered to find out? In Galatians chapter 1, Paul writes this. Very profound verse. And he's talking to this brand new church. And he says, obviously, I am not trying to be a people pleaser. No, I am trying to please God. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be Christ's servant. We were talking the last four weeks about being a servant. Did you know you cannot be a servant if you're a people pleaser? You cannot be God's servant. Are you a people pleaser? Is the things that you do, the things that you say, are you driven by the approval of other people? Are you the kind of person that wants other people to like you and you don't function well if they don't like you? Do you have a difficult time standing against the crowd? Do you have a difficult time standing up for what's right and taking the flack that goes with it? I remember as a young young man, I met Kathy 
I was 20 years, of old, 20 years old, and I'd made a decision a year earlier to live my life to please God. When I finally met Kathy's parents, they were not pleased with me in any way, shape, or form. They didn't like the path their daughter was going down. They didn't like the fact that she'd gotten baptized, that she'd become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> and they threw me out of their house first time they met me. Now, you know, my wife, I, I, I keep a picture of her in my, in my uh, I keep a lot of pictures of her, but I keep a picture of her in this planning book that I have of when she was 18 and now. She's hardly changed at all, well, at least in my eyes. You may think so, but I look at it, and it's her face and face, and I'm like, it's the same radiant girl I met 30 years ago this October. I met her 30 years ago. Kathy could have said to herself, you know what? I don't want to follow this path. There's a lot of other fish in the ocean. There's a lot of other nice Christian guys my parents might like. I want to please my mom and dad. When her parents told us they would give us their blessing and they would really like us if we just leave the church, I made the decision to please God and be loyal to the people of God. All my life, for 31 years, I've been making the decision to the best of my ability to please God and let the crowds be damned. But you have to ask yourself an honest question. Who are you living to please? Yourself? Your own desires? Your own comforts? Or are you living to please God? Are you living to please your mother and father? Are you living to please God? Are you living to please the person at work who you want to really like you? Are you living to please God? Are you living to get the attention of guys, ladies? Guys, are you living to get the attention of women? Or are you living to get the attention of God? In John chapter 5, verse 44. I was a young Christian when I first read this verse. I was out spending some time with the Lord. And of course the Lord, He's always working on all of our hearts. He's still working on mine 31 years after following Him. And I came to this passage in the Bible. Jesus said, how can you believe? He's speaking to all the religious people. How can you believe when you look for the praise that comes from one another and not the praise that comes from the one and only God? And I paused on that verse, and as I, it is, is my habit. I can't say I do it every single time, but it is my habit. I said, Lord, what do you have here for me? And the Lord said this to me. Now, I'm not lying. This is what the Lord said to me in my spirit. He said, Mark, how do you expect to have a dynamic, powerful faith in me when what really motivates you is when other Christians think highly of you? When you simply try to do things that please others, what about what pleases me? Are you hungry for my honor, Mark? Are you hungry for my praise? <clears throat> or will you be simply content with the praise of others? As a young Christian, you know, Lord is working on my motives. And sometimes, to be honest, I was wanting to look good to other people. What that kind of meant was I put a nice little Christian fruit on my tree and hope it didn't rot before somebody picked it off. But my home life, my private life, there was needs there and I wasn't facing. I wasn't living under that banner. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting how we'll live and act when someone's around us but when no one's around us. What are we really like? Then we find out, am I really living to please God or I just give in to whatever I want all the time? 
we need to think seriously about what it means to please God. There is no higher or greater ambition that you could have in your life. And this ambition relates to everything. And I'm just in closing going to explain to you how it relates to everything. When you have a desire to please God, it relates to your marriage. It relates to your work. It relates to your relationships. It relates to your finances. It relates to your choices. It relates to everything. Pleasing God is the single most important thing in my marriage. My wife and daughter have been gone for 11 weeks. Hopefully they'll be back next week for a few days, then they have to go back. Now I was visiting with Kathy on the other phone, uh, the other day on the phone, and it was one of those, um, it will be one of those memorable visits in our marriage. There have been many. It was just, it was just this very special moment. Kathy was sharing with me things she was learning through this trial. People have asked me how we're doing. Well, you know, I have my moments. I have my moments when I sit in a chair and I don't just cry, I sob. But you know, by the grace of God, we're going forward. But my wife, and I can tell you, my wife, she is an extraordinary woman. She's an extraordinary woman. And she was sharing with me, she said, you know, Mark, last night, <clears throat> if I told you the daily routine they have to go through and all of the ups, the downs, the setbacks, it's, it's just... And Kathy's dealing with it all. She's there with Jessica through every single thing. She has to give her about 30 different things at just the right time every day. Give her four or five shots every day. She gets up with her in the middle of the night to retape her wounds when Jessica goes to the bathroom. And she helps her get back to bed. And Kathy's sleep is interrupted. So Kathy said, you know, Mark, I woke up last night. It was about midnight. She's laying on the floor. My wife sleeps on a floor on some cushions. She has a very bad back. So my daughter can use the only bed that's in the, the little apartment that's out there. You know, I was just laying, Mark, and I was just going over in my mind all the wonderful promises of God. And I'm sitting on the phone here in tears. I just, I just start crying. I'm like, this is why I married this woman. And she said, you know, Mark, I was just so encouraged. How could I not be encouraged, Mark, with these promises after promise after promise that God has given in so I, I just began, after Kathy was sharing, I said, Kathy, i got to tell you something. I, the most extraordinary woman in 31 years I, still I've ever met. I love you. I adore you. I am so proud of your faith. I am so proud of your compassion to your daughter. I'm so, in fact, Kathy, i tell you this. You know, I just sit here and I think to myself, you could be gone a year. And I wouldn't worry for one moment if some other guy was moving in on my woman. I said, do you know why, Kathy? Because you have the same passion you've had for 31 years. You live not to please me. You live not to please you. You've been living to please God. And I don't have a worry at all. When it comes to that woman, I just do not worry. I wonder if she's going to fall apart. I wonder if, you know, she's going to go, you know, I, this is kind of nice not having to live with Mark. Hey, the devil can bring all kinds of things to your mind, you know? And you kind of think, you know, she's probably liking not having a man around. <laughs> Don't have to deal with Mark. I've told you before, I'm not the easiest guy to deal with in the flesh. Only thing that keeps my flesh in check is my passionate desire to please God. So I beat it down. Otherwise, it would beat me into the ground. 
you have that confidence? Some of you here in a dating relationship, let me ask you something. Are you really worried about pleasing that person or are you pleasing God? In your moral choices, are you really worried about pleasing God or are you just doing what you feel is right at the moment? In your relationships, are you committed to pleasing God? In your financial decisions, are you really committed to pleasing God? Are you... Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10. Listen to this command. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Always striving to find out what pleases the Lord. Have you made a commitment in your life, number one, to not only live to please the Lord, because that is the only right way to live, It is the single most important ambition of your life. But secondly, have you made a commitment to find out what's pleasing to God? Ignorance is no excuse. When I was a young young believer, I was 19, and Christ got a hold of my life. And he got a hold of my life in a very big way. Some of you, you know me, you may have your addictions when you came to Christ, you know. I have my addictions. I haven't always put it this way, but I was addicted to women. I mean, I always wanted their attention. I always wanted to run around. I won't get into the reasons why. I was addicted to myself. I was addicted to um, pride. I was addicted to meanness. I was mean. Ah, not mean when I when it served my purpose not to be, but to my family, I was very mean. The night that I gave my life to Christ, I gave my life to Christ. I, I submitted. Let me use this word. This is the most important word in your life, and I'm going to use it over the next several weeks because uh, we don't talk about it like we need to. I submitted my life completely to God in the fall of 1975. I submitted, I gave in everything in my life and then I knew instinctively I need to find out what God wants from me. Well, there's only one place to find that out. Well, really there's two. This book, which is the Bible, and I know for a fact that every one of you in this room probably have one. You can get one and you can read. Are you reading it? Do you even care what pleases God? And secondly, church. I knew instinctively it was a, it was a Saturday night. Saturday night that I gave my life to Christ. The next morning was Sunday. And the first thing I knew God wanted me to do was get up early and beg my mother's forgiveness for the sinful way that I had treated her. I didn't question it. I didn't think about the embarrassment. I didn't think about the fact that I'm probably going to blubber like a baby and I'm a guy and I don't really want to do that. God asked me to do it. I did it. I made it right. And then for the rest of my life, these last 31 years, I have lived to make it right. I get up and I went to church with my mother. I hadn't been to church in years. Then after church, I drove to Des Moines <clears throat> to see the girl that I knew I needed to do some business with. 
And I explained to her why she would never see me again. I begged her to forgive me for the immoral behavior of our relationship. And I left. And I left that life. I left that life. Do you really want to please God? Do you really want to please God? Then I went to my old high school teachers, most of whom, not all, I had made their classes miserable. I was extremely disrespectful. And I knew in my heart, the Bible says, let him who steals, steal no more and go make it right. I knew that I had stole something from them and I needed to make it right. I never went to AA. I never read the big book. I knew all this stuff in my heart. If you have the Holy Spirit, you know these things in your heart. You know that you need to make some things right. Do you want to please God or do you want to salvage your pride? Your pride will kill you anyway. Your pride has already been killing you. Give it up. And I went and I apologized to them. I wrote to my old girlfriends who I hadn't seen and asked their forgiveness. And on my way I went as if a thousand pounds had just been dropped off my back. And I got into this book. In fact, at that time of my life, I would read a whole book a day. The whole book of Mark, the whole book of John. That's the whole gospel of Mark, the whole gospel of John, the whole gospel of Luke. And I'd read and I'd read and I'd underline and I'd underline and I'd write down, oh man, I need to remember, oh, that verse speaks to me. It didn't all speak to me at first. I couldn't grasp it all. I have read it hundreds of times. I immediately got plugged in to a church with other Christians and I began to listen to what my leaders were saying because they were my leaders and God requires of me submission to my leaders. I put myself under my leaders. I didn't sit back and critique them. I didn't sit back and go, well, I don't know if I really agree with that. I allowed them to imprint on my soul and show me from the Bible what I ought to believe. And I submitted. I'm still submitting today to other men in my life. 31 years later. God will use the person, man or woman, whose greatest desire in life is to please God. If that's your desire, I want you to know I'm here to support you. I'm here to help you every possible way that I can. I will give all of my energy, all of my life, everything I know to help the man, woman, the men and women who have made a decision, I want to live to please God. I'd like you to bow your heads this evening. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever been told this before. I don't know if you understand this, but there are two judgments. The first judgment is what the Bible refers to as the great white throne judgment. It's the judgment for sin. All those who do not know Christ will stand before the great white throne judgment. And they will be judged according to what they've done. And then they will be thrown into the lake of fire. It's very clear. It's unequivocal. Jesus didn't mince any words. Neither does the Bible. There's a second judgment. It's a judgment for those who are already on the team. You made the team. You've been saved. You've come to know Jesus Christ. And you stand righteous in the eyes of God because of what Jesus Christ did. You're at training camp. Do you really care about pleasing the football coach? You're on the team. In God's team, you can't, get off, you can't get kicked off the team. But let me tell you something. Very important that you may not understand. As a Christian, 
At the end of your life, God is going to judge, evaluate, look over your life and your works. Some people's work, some people's life is no more than wood, hand, stubble. Some have silver, some have gold, and it'll be tested by fire. God will look at the motives. He'll look at what your real desires were, and he's going to test those desires in the arena of life. The Bible says a man is tested by the praise he's given. He's going to find out that you really live to glorify him, or were you really secretly feeding your own ego? Were you living to please him? Were you living to please the world? Were you really in the book living from a biblical worldview, which is very easy to understand if you read the book? Or were you constantly making excuses? I just didn't have time to hear what God has to say to me. I don't really care. You're going to go to heaven. You have a future home there if you know Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, you're going to suffer a great loss of what your life could have been. And when you see him and you look in his face and you for the, maybe the first time fall so deeply in love with the one who gave his life for you, you are going to be pierced with extraordinary regret that I did not live my life to please God. I wasted it. It's a little bit like a man I've known in my life. I've known some women like this. Men who had a chance at a great marriage. They had a beautiful couple kids. They had a beautiful wife. And they squandered it. And they blew it in their pride, and they wasted it. And now, they're 50. And they're alone. And I've had men say this to me. And I look at my wife today. I look at what her life is, what a woman she is, and those kids. And I'm nothing but regret. I wish I could have it back, and I can't have it back. When you're in heaven, the Lord's going to wipe away your tears, but I want you to know they're going to be tears. And you're going to realize for all eternity, you're going to be there. Don't worry, not going to throw you out of heaven. You're going to be there. But you're going to realize, I could have given Jesus so much, and I squandered it. All on me. I lived for me. I lived to please me. I lived to please this person. I lived to please the world. I lived by the world's values, and I wasted it all. And you know what else? You're going to realize... You're going to realize this before you die. It never makes you happy. The world's praise, it's so pathetic. Today they love you. Tomorrow they'll hate you. Trust me, Mel Gibson's a perfect example of that. As long as he did everything just right, he's great. You make a mistake, they hate your guts. The same is true of people who are popular singers just 15 years ago, some just five years ago, you don't even hear their name. You don't even hear their name anymore. They're just a has-been, a one-hit wonder. They just use you up, spit you out. God doesn't. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to transform your life, but he can only do it if you have one single ambition to please God. I'm going to please God with my life. Father, I just ask you tonight that you'd help these young men and women. They have their whole life ahead of them, Lord. They have their whole life ahead of them. So much extraordinary goal and opportunity to make their lives really count. But they have, a, they have a decision to make, Lord. Most important decision of their life will be who are they going to live to please. 
Will they live to please God in their morality? Will they live to please God in their marriage? Will they live to please God in their relationships? Will they live to please God on the job? Will they live to please God with all their choices? Or will they live to please themselves? I pray, Lord, you help them to make by your grace the right decision. In Jesus' name, amen.